The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by the SGPN Merch Store. Use promo code SGPNBA to get 10% off everything in the SGPN Store. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast. Now, it is currently early Tuesday morning, April 18th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun one, and it should be a pretty jam-packed episode because we have a bunch of tournaments to go through. In fact, we have three tournaments to go through, and all of them are on clay, so you might end up seeing some chaos going on. Now, I will admit that there are a decent amount of top-tier contenders that are dispersed amongst these three tournaments, so there is a decent favorite in two of them. The third one in Munich is more up in the air. Uh, just the fact that you have two guys who are around the three to one price range. We'll talk about that in a second, but either way, it should be three fun tournaments and I'm looking forward to breaking them down here with you. But before you get into any of the previews, do want to quickly recap how we did on the last episode and how the final in Monte Carlo uh, ended up playing out. We had a great episode. In fact, we won literally everything. Uh, we got everything right in the match. We liked the... Uh, we Anything we thought about for a lock or a dog ended up winning. So to go through everything that we liked for the official plays, for the lock, we ended up giving out the over four and a half combined breaks of serve between Rublev and Rune, and that won as that won easily uh, early on in the second set. So that was never in doubt. For the dog, we had Rublev money line at plus 175. That was not easy, but Rublev got it done, and Rune physically kind of faded late in the second set. And then we also gave out a prop, or if you want to call it a safer dog, we gave out Rublev over two and a half breaks of serve individually at plus 130, and that got there too. If you wanted to take the over, we like that as well with the total games and with the sets. That ended up going three. Once again, pretty much everything we liked in the match won. So it was a great episode for us, and hopefully some of you out there ended up cashing some of the bets that I recommended on the show. But either way, ended up sweeping the semis in Monte Carlo, swept the final Monte Carlo. So we enter this tournament, these uh, three tournaments in good form. Let's keep it rolling here. But starting off with the main takeaway that I had from the match itself between Rublev and Rune, my main takeaway, it's going to sound extremely simple, and it's not going to be the most, I'd say, it's not going to be the deepest you know, takeaway, but I just want to say it. Good for Rublev. I'm happy for him. You know, he had a hard time of actually winning a Masters 1000 event, and then he finally won one. So I am happy that Rublev, who is well-regarded as being one of the nicest guys on tour, uh, I was happy that he was able to finally get it done. Good for him. It's been a lot, a lot of pain and suffering for Rublev to get to this point because of how many close losses he's had in some of these big matches. But he finally won a Masters 1000 event, and hopefully he keeps it rolling just emotionally and physically because he is potentially going to be, I don't want to say one of the favorites in Roland Garros, but I feel like he's going to be a common dark horse candidate, so to speak, to potentially win the thing, especially if Nadal is not healthy enough to participate. So good for Rublev, and I'm happy that he ended up winning his first Masters 1000 title. The match itself was really just a coin flip. It kind of sums up the entire tournament there in Monte Carlo. We saw in the semis that Rublev struggled early against Fritz, and then he got back on track. And we saw in the semis that Rune and Sinner just could not determine who... <laughs> they just couldn't decide if they wanted to win the match or not because both guys kept... I don't want to say choking, but they kept struggling to capitalize on opportunities to put them very much ahead in that match. And the same thing happened with Rune. Now, Rune ended up breaking to win the first set. Then the second set, he immediately went down a break or two, and he kind of punted the back end of that second set to save energy. Then he was immediately up a break in the third set, and then he completely fell apart. He got broken twice in the last couple service games, and Rublev was consistent enough to get the job done. Rune once again... Uh, had some issues with the crowd and the noise, but the main issue for me was really just shot selection with Rune. He was very good at hitting the drop shot early in the match, and then it seemed like he went to it a bit too much late when it stopped working. And besides that, it was a very competitive match that could have gone either way, but luckily we were on the right side. I still can't believe Rune was around minus 200 on the money line, and that's why we took Rublev on principle, just because the value was absurd. And I think that even though both guys went to three sets into the semis, I do think that Rublev had a bit of an advantage since his match was earlier 
Uh, Sinner and Rune was the late match. And once again, I've mentioned issues with Rune's conditioning in the past in these grueling matches. And we kind of saw Rune mentally and physically kind of check out in the last couple stages there of the deciding set. So nice win for Rublev. I'm happy for him. And I'm also happy for him because he cashed us a nice plus 175 ticket. And he also cashed us a 130 ticket on the breaks uh, individually at plus 130. So overall, once again, great episode. But that's going to do it for the recap. Now it's time to actually move on to the meat and potatoes of the episode. And we're going to start off in alphabetical order because all three of these events are actually starting at the exact same time. So chronological order will now work. So we will be going to Banja Luka, and I'm sure some of you might be wondering, where the hell is Banja Luka? And the answer is, it's in Bosnia. So if you didn't know that, now you know, but this is going to be a pretty interesting tournament because this is the first year this tournament will be held in Bosnia. This was originally Belgrade, and then that ended up getting moved to, to this venue. So if you're wondering where exactly this event is and why have I not heard about it before? It's because this was the Belgrade event, but that officially got moved to Bosnia. So just keep that in mind. As for a result, I'm really not going to mention any of the historical uh, winners here or any trends that's worth noticing because once again, it's in a different country and there, I, I'm not going to choose anything to really go with based on the winners in the last five years in a different country. Like that just doesn't really serve a purpose. No offense to the actual Belgrade event in Serbia, but still, I think you understand my point. I, I just can't use any type of information from those events in the past and translate it to this event. The only takeaway you have is that this tends to be a pretty underrated field in terms of talent, especially for a uh, 250 event, but to go through the actual outrights for this event, you have one massive favorite followed by a bunch of double-digit underdogs, so you have the second lowest odds at roughly 14 to 1, and it tells you all you need to know about who's actually in this event, and you know Nadal's injured, so that leaves two choices. It's either Alcaraz or it is Djokovic, and Alcaraz is busy in his home country in Spain because there's a tournament in Barcelona. So, of course, it's going to be Djokovic. And it's a little bit weird for Djokovic because it used to be in his home country in Belgrade, in uh, Serbia, in Belgrade. And now it's not. But he decided that since he's loyal to the original tournament, I guess, why not? He's going to run it back. And now Djokovic is minus 200. Leshika is 14 to 1. Dejir is 16 to 1. Uh, Kekmanovic is 22 to 1. Varias is 35 to 1. Gasquet is 50 to 1. Then Asha is 50 to 1. He had a nice win there against Warenka yesterday. And then you have a couple of serious long shots who I'm not even going to bother with. Do I think anyone can beat Djokovic? I think somebody could. We saw Djokovic struggle physically in that three-setter against Musetti. The weather also wasn't great. There were breaks of serve pretty much for the entire match. Nobody could really hold serve, especially in that second set. But Djokovic seemed to be battling a bit of an elbow or arm issue. So I do think at the end of the day, Djokovic should be the obvious choice to win the event. However, with the arm injury, I am a little bit concerned about him dominating the competition in this event. I think he'll find a way to win, but I do wonder if he's going to be physically compromised during the later stages of this event. So I think minus 200 is still not a bad deal for Djokovic. I know it's going to sound crazy, but Djokovic is clearly the best player here, and it's not even close. So I'm going with Djokovic at minus 200. I, I just think Djokovic is going to win the event. But I will concede that dealing with that arm issue or the elbow issue, I know Djokovic kind of dismissed it a little bit in the post-match presser, but still, you can tell it was noticeable and how his forehand was kind of looping a bit more as the match went on. But I don't see anybody here who can beat him. You can argue Leshika, and that would be the only other guy I'd consider besides maybe Kekmanovic. I wouldn't take Dejir. Dejir, I don't trust the unforced errors. I just think that he would wear down. I know Dejir does have moments on clay, so you can make an argument that you know maybe he could find a way, but I personally don't see it. I think Dejir is going to underachieve at this event, actually. But to look at the quarters here, it's going to be a pretty short breakdown for this event because you have Djokovic and literally everybody else. But to go through the quarters here, you have Djokovic to win his quarter at minus 650. Uh, you can argue that maybe Lahovic can give him a run for his money. He had a pretty... Uh, well, he's he's still in the middle of his match against Krajinovic. Uh, that actually got delayed midway through the third set. But in theory, Lahovic could maybe give Djokovic a run for his money. I don't think Krajinovic can, but... 
He's minus 650 to win the quarter. So Djokovic is going to win the quarter. Now, the second quarter is interesting because you have Lushika and you have Kekmanovic, which is really annoying because I do think that either guy could be the second best player in this event. And yet you're looking at the actual, you know, draw here. And it's not ideal when you have arguably the second and third best players here battling into the quarterfinals. Now, to go through the other uh, people in this event, you have, sorry, I'm I'm noticing that uh, draft that DraftKings might be glitching out a bit because it has Rublev listed for the fourth quarter, but it doesn't have his odds on the outright, which I find extremely weird, uh, potentially because well, Rublev is not going to show up for this event. I'd be shocked if he did show up. He just won his first Masters 1000 event. So I'm assuming he's going to get just hammered uh, with alcohol over the next couple of days. But in theory... Uh, just to ignore DraftKings there for a second, Rublev is plus 450, so he's going to be the bridge between Djokovic and everybody else. So Rublev is 450, Aleshika is still 14 to 1, etc. So to look through the quarter odds for everyone else, you have the second quarter I already mentioned with Aleshika and Kekmanovic. Aleshika is plus 150, Kekmanovic is plus 185, Korya 7-1, you have Yemmer. That's E. Yemmer, not M. Yemmer, at 7-1. to one. You have Munfi, and you have Albert. Now, no offense to Munfi, but I'm rooting for him. It's probably not going to go well. Just going to throw it out there. I mentioned several months ago we were going to fade him blindly, and so far it's gone well for us. Now, Coria, I like as a clay player. However, I am concerned about his fitness. He was supposed to play a week or two ago, but he ended up withdrawing because of potential injury, and we gave him out as an outright to win the event, and... It was a long shot, but it got voided because he didn't play a match. He just didn't show up. So keep an eye on Coria, potentially physically struggling. But I think if I had to pick anybody to win this quarter, it's going to be one of the top two guys. It's either Lushika or Kekmanovic. I really don't see much value in any of the dogs. Now, moving on to the third quarter, you have Chorich at 2-1, to one, who's been very underwhelming uh, since he ended up winning that ATP event last year. Really has not been good since. And as a result, I think I have to fade Chorich here. I don't trust him, especially at 2-1. to one. Now, DeGier is good on clay. So 275, you can argue, is an interesting price. I mentioned before that I might end up fading him because I just simply put don't trust him. I just think that he's a player who leaves a lot to be desired because of the tendency to miss with regard to his strokes. He really hits a lot of unforced errors, and that could be his undoing. Now, to look at the actual a draw on who I might like in this region. So Chorich would face off against Dejir in the second round. So I find it fascinating that the two lowest odds in this quarter are on a collision course with each other in the second round. So I think there's no value on Chorich or Dejir based on that draw. Now, if you want to talk about the other guys, uh, Papyron did win in straight sets yesterday, was competitive, did go to two tie breaks, but he got the job done. I don't believe there was a break of serve in that entire match, if I'm not mistaken, but he won the breakers there against Greek Spore, which is a nice win. Greek Spore has kind of struggled a bit lately since transitioning back to clay, but nice win there by Papyron. He's, he's against Molkan in this one. Uh, Molkan ended up beating uh, Daniel in the first round. Daniel, not exactly a great clay player, uh, but that went three. I do think there's going to be value on whoever you think personally is going to win that particular match. I think you make an argument that if you are expecting Papyron or Mulkin to win that match, that either guy could pull off an upset and beat Chorich or Dejir, and I'd agree. So if I had to go based on where the value might lie between those two guys, Mulkin, I think, is a good clay player, but I do think Papyron's serve can definitely uh, result in a bit of an advantage here. Now, I think Mulkin is the better mover, which definitely could help, but I think at the end of the day, when I'm looking at this overall matchup, I do think that I'm going to lean to Papyron. Do I feel great about it? No. But I think you can make an argument that if you want to go for any option here, you have four guys who are two to one, uh, who are in between two to one and four to one to win the quarter, which tells you all you need to know about how crazy this overall quarter can be. So I'm going to go with the longest shot there. At Papyron four to one. If you want to go Molkan, I don't mind, but I don't really trust Chorich or Dejir since they have to play against each other in the second round and then have to beat either Molkan or Papyron. So 
I'm going to go with Papyrus in there for the third quarter. I just think that that is where the value lies in what really could be just an up for grabs quarter. Now, the fourth quarter, I think, has a ton of value because Rublev is minus 165. Varius is five to one. Gasquet is six to one. Gaston is nine to one. Then you have Dino Prismic, who I'm sure most people never heard of, uh, but he is 12 to one. You have Dezumer at 14 to one, who I thought retired already. And you have Brody at 35 to one. Shout out to Brody for showing up, I guess. But the point is, Rublev is the is the huge favorite at minus 165. However, I just talked about in the opening monologue that he won his first Masters 1000 event over the weekend, and he had a couple of really long matches. He had a three-setter against Fritz. He had a three-setter against Rune. I would be shocked if Rublev actually showed up for this event. I don't think that there's any upside from actually participating in this event, and you also have to wonder about him potentially being fatigued. So I do think if you want to go for a value play here, I think you have to consider it, because if Rublev ends up withdrawing from this event and he gets replaced with a lucky loser, then you end up with a potential 5-1 to one long shot or bigger at probably closer to what, like 250 odds, 3-1 to one true odds? It really comes down to if you think that Rublev is A, going to actually participate, and B, how you think he's going to look physically after expending so much energy over the weekend and over the past week. So I do think at the end of the day, Rublev actually gives this quarter a bunch of value because I don't know why he would be able or why he'd want to go on a full another title run when he's probably going to be out celebrating for the full weekend winning Masters 1000. I know that he had the um, interview at the Tennis Channel right after he won the match and some of it was like an Nadal joke where he basically alluded to, you know, I might drink a little bit or something like that. But I do expect Rublev to be celebrating a decent amount over the past weekend. At least I think he did. So I'm not sure if he's going to be fully focused on this event. He's going from a Masters 1000 event to a 250. I have no interest in Rublev. And once again, he might just withdraw from the event entirely. So there is a chance maybe a lucky loser is not even on the bracket can win this quarter. And if that's the case... I think you would get refunded because why wouldn't you? The person who won the quarter in this hypothetical situation isn't even listed. So you'd probably get void. It'd probably get voided. But still, I think the value alone is going to be on one of these longer shots. Now, Gasquet, I tried to make a case for on Clay a week or two ago. He lost in the first round. It wasn't that close. I believe it was Mueller who beat him comfortably. So I'm not interested. Gaston is a fun player. But I still don't fully trust him. He's got good drop shots and he's got a lot of creativity, but he can't serve at all. And he also is just a pretty average player in terms of consistency. But nine to one for a crafty guy like that, maybe. Uh, Prismic, I don't really know much about, to be fully honest with you. Uh, but to look at his overall stats here or his recent performances, I'm assuming that he's going to be a local kid. He's not. He's actually from Croatia, so I guess he just decided to show up for the check. Uh, but looking at his recent form, he has been decent. Uh, the thing is, though, he hasn't exactly played in many great events. Uh, he has done pretty well in the challenger circuit, though, on clay. Uh, ended up uh, losing in one round of qualifying, and then I guess he was a lucky loser. Sorry, I'm going backwards. So, uh, ended up beating Basic in straight sets, beat Kovalik in straight sets. Kovalik actually just beat Martinez yesterday in three sets. Then he went to Croatia uh, in a different uh, city, uh, won another two matches, then lost to O'Connell. O'Connell, we know, is a guy we thought might make a run last week and had the heartbreaking loss in the third set to Kotov uh, to win the quarter at 10-1. to So, that's not a bad loss per se, uh, then in this event, he went through qualifying, ended up beating Bellucci, and he ended up beating Brody in straight sets. I'm just saying, I don't know much about this guy as a wild card, but 12 to 1 in what should be an open quarter, assuming that Rublev is going to withdraw, I don't hate it. Let's put it that way. Now, do I think he's going to win the quarter? Probably not, but I've seen stranger things. If you want to look at the actual draw, Prismich would end up facing off against Gasquet in the first round, then either DeZumer or Brody. So it's actually not a bad draw for Prismich. Now, he would have to face off against Rublev, hypothetically, in the third in this third match. But Rublev has a bye, and then he has a matchup against either Varius or Gaston. And those two guys can kill each other. So I think you could end up seeing a decent path where maybe Prismich goes on a Cinderella run, and maybe you have Gaston against Prismich 
for a shot to potentially make it into the semi. I got to be tempted by that. I mean, if you were just talking about Rublev, let's throw Rublev out for a second. And you tell me it's Gasquet, Prismich, Dezumer, Brody, Varius, Gaston, and a, and a wild card. I might take my chances. I'm just going to throw it out there. I think that there is some value potentially on Prismich, even though I don't exactly know much about him. So I'm on, I know I'm not giving you the most ringing endorsement of the guy, but for 12 to 1 in what should be an open quarter, assuming Rublev drops, then I got to be tempted by it. Now, you can always hedge it in theory and take Rublev to win the quarter, but I'm not going to do that because I don't think there's much value. You're getting a guy at minus at minus 165 who, once again, might not actually participate in this event. And if he ends up struggling early based on either fatigue or maybe just a potential three-day hangover, I don't think there's much value at minus 165. I understand the odds, but I do think context needs to be applied. And as a result, I'm not going to take it. So for me, I'm going to take a flyer here. I'm going to go with... Uh, let me just check the odds quickly on that Varius match against Gaston, because I do think that's probably worth a flyer on whoever you think is going to win that match. Uh, so let me just check the odds quickly uh, for that match. So Varius is a minus 158 favorite or so, uh, which, you know, I think is pretty reasonable. And then uh, looking at, uh, do I see any odds on Prismich? So Gasquet's only minus 140 against Prismich. So they're giving him a decent chance to actually pull this off. I think I'm going to do it. Yeah, screw it. Uh, give me my two outrights for the quarter here. Give me Varius at five to one, and give me Prismich at twelve to one. If Rublev plays, he'll probably kick their asses, and that's going to be unfortunate. But based on how much tennis he had to play and just the emotional relief he experienced over the weekend, I don't think he's focused on a two fifty, and I think he's actually pretty. I don't want to say likely to drop, but I'll give it like a 50-50 shot. Having the buy does help to give him extra time to recover and to refocus, but I'm not going to bother. So give me Varius at 5-1 to one and give me Prismich at 12-1. to one. For these third quarter, give me a Papyron at plus 400. For the second quarter, I I really just think it's either Lushika or Kekmanovic. So pick whichever guy you want. And first quarter, I'm not really picking anybody. I just think Djokovic is going to win the quarter. And for the event itself, I will go with Djokovic. But if I had to pick a long shot, so to speak, I would consider a potential shot there with... I don't even want to say Rublev, though, because I really don't want to put my eggs in that basket where maybe he retires mid-tournament because he's exhausted. So you know what? Give me Leshika at 14-1 to 1 as my somewhat long shot. But I just think Djokovic is going to win the event. So Varias at 33 to 1, I don't mind either. If you want to go super duper long shot and double back the Cinderella, I don't even see odds on Prismich. So I don't even see that option. Uh, but it's probably going to be close to 125 to 150 to 1. I don't think it's going to happen. But if you were, if you wanted to have the ultimate D-Gen rush there for maybe a week or two, or, or sorry, a day or two, and maybe hedge accordingly. I don't necessarily mind that play if you want to just go full lunatic mode, uh, but I think if I think if I had to pick where the value is on who I think can realistically win this event, I think it's going to be on Djokovic. I found a minus one ninety, and I think it's going to be on Leshika at around a fourteen to one. Just, could, just checking to see if I could actually find odds on him. I found eighty to one on Prismich, which is the best I can get. Not really a great amount of odds. It should be close to like 120 to 1, but still, either way, uh, that's going to be my thoughts on that event. And moving on to Barcelona, you have a pretty interesting event where you have a lot more quality players, but you still have a minus favorite. You have Alcaraz at minus 110. You have Sinner at plus 400. You have Tsitsipas at 8 to 1. You have Rude at 9 to 1. Then you have Kakanov at 25 to 1. Musetti at 28 to 1. Nori at 35 to 1. You get the drill. So it's going to be one of the favorites. You have four really, really good clay players. I know Sitsipas is not in great form, and you could argue that maybe Musetti can give somebody a run, maybe Nori on a good day. I'm not doing it with Nori again. I'm taking a break from Nori. Uh, maybe you can argue Fakina goes on a run, maybe a Sarandolo. I'm going to pass. I just think it's going to be a tournament where one of the top-tier guys wins. If I had to go with a super-duper long shot, I would consider Echeverry at 65-1. to one. Uh, you know, like or Zapata Marais at 65 to 1. But once again, I'm kind of grasping at straws there. I think 65 is a bit of a misprice, though, for those two guys who, historically speaking, have been good on clay. And Zapata Marais has been pretty good in 
the overall season. The issue is, is a matchup against Batista Agut, and then he faced off against Alcaraz, most likely. So that's the problem for Zapata Marias, so I kind of have to stay away from him. As for Echeverri, he's got a matchup against Fakina, and then either Rusevori or Tiafo. and I think that that's not exactly an ideal spot, because if he gets past those two matches, then he has to face off against Alcaraz, too. So that's not ideal. I think if I had to go with any quote-unquote long shot for this event, which I just mentioned Echeverry and Marais, those are my super-duper ones. For my normal ones, Tiafo at 40-1, to 1, I think is maybe worth a flyer. I think, I think Alcaraz is going to win the event. The question really comes down to if he can physically hold up after he kind of got injured again in that Miami thriller against Sinner. But I do think, looking at the recent winners of this event, Alcaraz won it last year. He beat Karenia Busta in straight sets. Nadal won it the year prior against Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas did make a final. Tsitsipas actually made two finals. He lost to Nadal in 2018. But Nadal won this mat, won this tournament 12 times. Team won it in 2019 against Medvedev. Uh, you had Alcaraz who won it last year. But you're going down the line, and a Spanish player wins this event every damn year. And I'm sure they kind of flood the market with regard to how many Spaniards are in this event compared to other nationalities. But I'm looking at all of the winners here. First of all, there's a Spaniard in the final basically every year for the last 20-something years. You have an exception with the uh, team match against Medvedev in 2019. But every other year from 2000, and I got to go all the way back, actually. Every year from 1997 onward, with the exception of 2019, had at least one Spaniard in the final. And you've had a lot of Spaniards who've won this event. So I think taking a Spaniard makes sense. And Alcaraz is the guy I'm going to take. He's the defending champion. So I think that we all know when Alcaraz is fully healthy, there's barely, if any, people that can beat him. There, there's just nobody out there besides probably Djokovic right now. And even Djokovic right now, you could argue, is a bit of a coin flip there. Nadal's injured, and that's it. Now, Sinner, we know, can beat Alcaraz, but he also played a pretty long tournament in Monte Carlo, so he might be exhausted. Alcaraz has been resting since Miami, so I do like his overall schedule since he has extra time to get fully healthy again and to regroup to clay. So I like Alcaraz to win the event at minus 110. I wish I had something a bit sexier as a pick, but I do think when you're looking at who I think is going to win, I really just think Alcaraz is that guy, and I think he's going to win this event. Now, I am trying to see if I can find any better odds. No, I found 110 is the best I'm going to get. Now, to go through the actual draw for the players here, Alcaraz, I kind of mentioned his draw indirectly, since I mentioned Zapata Marias and I mentioned Echeverri and Tiafo as potential long shots for the event. It's mostly because if you're assuming Alcaraz struggles physically, and maybe he has not fully recovered or you know, you worry about his stamina, then maybe one of those guys can sneak through and potentially make a deep run. I don't realistically see it. I just think that you're going to end up seeing Alcaraz win this tournament pretty comfortably. Now, you can make an argument for Rude, who has been getting back on track. He's looked a lot better on clay. He lost to Struff in Monte Carlo. Struff was playing very well in that match, though. He was serving like a lunatic in the first uh, set and a half. Then Rude broke a couple times to make it interesting, but he lost the second set in a breaker. But I do still like his overall form on clay. So that's technically an option there at around 9-1. to one. Uh, But for Sinner, I think I'm going to pass. I get the argument if you want to make it. It is a very good draw. Face off against either Yibbing or Schwartzman. Then face off against either Nishioka or Gofen or Feliciano Lopez, which is an absolute joke. And then after that... He would most likely face off against probably Nori. So it is a really good draw for Sinner, but I just don't think he's going to beat Alcaraz on clay in Alcaraz's home country. So I, I don't really see the point. So I think Sinner can make a run. The quarter odds, I think, are where it's going to get interesting because Alcaraz is minus 280. I'm not going to make a case. If you want to go for Tiafo at 11 to 1, knock yourself out. But I do think Alcaraz will win the quarter at 280. Second quarter, you have Rude at plus 125, Kakanov at 350, Sarandolo at 6 to 1. You have Jari at 8 to 1, Evans at 11 to 1, Munar at 12 to 1, etc. If you want to go for another crazy option, Pizarro at 20 to 1, I don't hate it, but I think Rude probably wins the quarter. If I had to look through his draw, though, just to see where I think some value might lie in theory, uh, Rude 
looking at his draw as a matchup against Shelton next round, then either Pizarro, Verdasco, or Sarundolo. I'm assuming Sarundolo, but maybe Pizarro can get it done. Uh, so Root should get by that, but we have seen Root struggle against weaker competition so far this season. As for the other section, you have Evans against probably Munar, and you have Jari against Kakanov. I think those two guys are going to kill each other. Uh, but I do think Rude probably wins the quarter. If I had to make a case for anybody, it would prob for any type of long shot, it would probably be Munar. I don't feel great about it, but twelve to one for a guy on clay who I know can really thrive. And once again, he's also Spanish, and I mentioned before that Spaniards have done very well at this event historically. There's probably a little bit of value on Munar at twelve to one. So I'm going to take it. Now, moving on to the third quarter, Sinner is minus 120. You have Musetti at 450, Nori at 450, Golfin at 10 to 1, Nishioka at 12 to 1, Schwartzman at 12 to 1, etc. There's a bunch of value on Sinner here. Uh, I, I got to take him to win the quarter at minus 120. I know I mentioned I'm not going to pick him to win the event. It's because I think Alcaraz will get revenge in his home country. But once again, I mentioned the draw. He's playing against nobody in the first couple of rounds. He has a buy in the first round. Then he has a matchup against Schwartzman or Yibbing. Sinner's going to kill either of those guys. Then he faces off against either Nishioka, Gofen, or Feliciano Lopez. So he's just cruising into the quarterfinals. And then you have an argument that, you know, maybe Nori or Musetti can beat him. Maybe, but they have to beat each other first. So you're looking at either Nori or Musetti in the quarterfinals, but you have Sinner probably against Nishioka? In the round of 16, like I have to give out Sinner at minus 120. That's an absolute steal, and I'm definitely going to take that. If we're talking about Rublev being like minus 165 to win his quarter after a Masters 1000 event, and we're talking about all these odds of guys who are pretty big favorites to win the quarter, Sinner should be like minus 200 here. Musetti just beat Djokovic, good win for him, but Sinner just destroyed him in Monte Carlo. Uh, It wasn't even close. The match took about an hour. So Sinner just destroyed Musetti, and Nori, we know, has a bad serve, so I think Sinner would just overpower him over the course of a three-set match. So I got Sinner at minus 120. That's a bargain. That's lock material for me. I know you prefer to get actual matches for locked in dog segments, so I'm going to just throw that as a bonus play. I'm going to give it out anyway because I give out all my quarter plays, but that has to be my best bet quarter play. Sinner minus 120 in that quarter is absurd. So that's going to be my thoughts on the third quarter. I'm not picking anybody else. I think that Nori and Musetti deserve to be plus 450 each because you're just penciling them in to face off against each other. But give me Sinner at minus 120. And for the fourth quarter, you have Tsitsipas at four at, oh, at even money, Chapo at 450, Dimitrov at 450, Diminor at 5-1, to one, Ramos Vinolas at 10-1, to one, and a bunch of guys who I don't think have a shot. So Dimitrov normally would have value, but as you might remember, last week I said if I ever give out Dimitrov in an outright again or in the lock and dog segment and you see me in person, you have the right to punch me in the face. So obviously, I'm not taking Dimitrov. If you want to, have fun. I'm rooting for you. But if Dimitrov lets you down, then I've been there before. So keep that in mind. Now, Sitsipas has not been in good form. He ended up losing pretty early on in Monte Carlo to Fritz, which is ex- extremely concerning because Sitsipas was the two-time defending champion. So the fact that Sitsipas not only lost, but lost relatively early, I think is a serious problem with regard to his current form. And as a result, I really can't pick him at even money. I get the argument could be made that maybe he can get back on track. He's familiar with this overall event, and you can make a case that since he made the final here a a couple of years ago, maybe he can you know, showcase his skill during the course of this tournament, but I I really can't do it. I just don't trust him enough. And at even money, I need a guy that I can trust. Like, if I had to ask you right now which odds make more sense, since he posted even money or Sinner at minus 120, I should should rephrase it. Which odds are... uh, What's the better deal between those two, the better deal is clearly Sinner 20 cents more expensive. It's not even close. I think if I had to pick anybody that could pull off a somewhat Cinderella run, you might think I'm nuts here based on his form this year. I'm actually kind of tempted by Shapo because he would face off against Sitsipas early, and I do think that Sitsipas is quite vulnerable, especially early on in tournaments before he makes an adjustment. But you might have an unforced error contest, but Schwartzman maybe can get it done Diminor, I think, has some value. I think that he's got a pretty good draw. 
Uh, Dimitrov might face off against Ramos Van Oles in the second round, and that could go either way. Uh, but Munar is a bye. Then he's facing off against Gustino or Shevchenko. I kind of like Shevchenko, but he's more of a challenger-level guy. But I do think that Diminor has value, and I do think that there also could be a little bit of value on Shapo. So I'll go with those two guys as my main options there for the fourth quarter. I'll go with Shapo at 450 and Diminor at 5-1. to one. So once again, to wrap up the quarter outrights and the actual picks for Barcelona, I'm going with Alcaraz to win the first quarter. If you want to take a flyer on Tiafo at 11-1, to one, I don't mind it, but I think Alcaraz will win the quarter. Second quarter... I am going to go with Rude at plus 125, but I also will sprinkle on Munar at 12 to 1. For the third quarter, give me Sinner at minus 120. I'm not taking anybody else. I just think for the draw alone, it's a bargain, and I'm going to take it. Uh, for the fourth quarter, give me Shapo at 450 and give me Munar at 5 to 1. And once again, my pick for the actual winner of the event, Alcaraz at minus 110. Uh, I do think you can make a case for Tiafo at maybe 40 to 1. My really big long shots for the pot number rise at 65 to 1 and at Javeri at 65 to 1, but that's mostly hoping that Alcaraz is still somewhat compromised physically and maybe one of them can beat him early. Realistically, they're not going to win. I'm just going to be honest. Like, Zabatam Marais and Echeverry are probably not going to win. But if some things go right, maybe they can make a run and you can hedge accordingly. But my main two outrights, I think, are going to be Alcaraz and I think they're going to be Tiafo at 40 to 1. Now, moving on. To the final tournament of this event, we're going to talk of this episode. We're going to talk about Munich, and this one should be an interesting one because going through the history of this event, first of all, it's been around for a long time. This tournament's been around since 1929. Uh, you have Rune as the defending champion who ended up beating Zanschulp via retirement seven games into the title match, which is a massive letdown. You had Basilashvili who won in 2021 beating Struff. You had Garin winning in 2019 against Berrettini. Zverev won this twice back-to-back years in 2017 and 2018. And you can go further back, and there's a German in this final pretty much every year, mostly due to weak overall fields. But still, to go through the odds for this event, you have Rune as the favorite at 275. You have Zverev as the second favorite at 3-1. to You have Fritz at 5-1. to Team at 10 to 1, Baez at 14 to 1, Struf at 14 to 1, Garin at 16 to 1, Zanschulp at 16 to 1, and you can go further down the line. So, first things first, Rune would be my pick if he didn't just go to a war on Sunday and he might be exhausted. So, I think Rune definitely has the biggest upside of any player here, but I do have serious concerns about the fatigue and. I do think that as a result, he might also drop in this event. So keep an eye out for it. Zverev at three to one. Like, let's be real. I think that Zverev is in a very good spot to win this event because he's won this twice. It's in his home country. And I think that he's going to have massive crowd support. So maybe Zverev can get it done in Germany, but I still don't trust him at three to one. He had a great chance to beat Medvedev and he choked away the match. He was serving for the match twice and choked it away both times. So I don't trust Zverev in big moments, and that's been an issue that I've had with him for a while, even pre-injury. So I don't think I can take Zverev. Now, Fritz is interesting, because Fritz was very good in his last outing, uh, where he ended up making a somewhat surprisingly deep run in Monte Carlo. Now, he did end up losing, blew a one-set lead to... Uh, Rublev in the semis. But the point is, I do think at the end of the day, he showed that he's capable of actually putting together good performances on clay. And I think for that reason, Fritz is worth a look at 5-1. to one. Now, I will go through the draw quickly just to talk about what I think has a pretty good chance of uh, cashing, or at least what I think has value based on where the line will be in the future. So Rune, starting off with the favorites here as a matchup against Hoffman. In the round of 16, which is not an easy matchup for the record. Hoffman's been pretty good. You have Green against Topo. You have Sonigo against Hallis. And Green would probably face off against Hallis if I had to guess. Maybe Sonigo. Those guys might kill each other, but keep an eye out for it. Zverev doesn't match up, though, against O'Connell or Umber. I'm assuming O'Connell, but who knows? That could be interesting. And then you have uh, Koboli. Who ended up having his first, I believe, ATP win against Jordan Thompson yesterday, facing off against either Atta or Baez. So I feel like it's pretty obvious where I'm leaning for the sake of this outright. Rune is the best player here, but I can't pick him out of fatigue, so I'm going to pass. Uh, Zverev, I don't think I'm going to take either. I know he's been good and all, but I really don't think there's value at three to one, especially for a guy that really can't close out matches. So give me a pass on Zverev. Fritz, uh, just to look at his draw really quickly, 
Um, let me just, sorry, pull this up. Uh, let me just see. Okay, there it is. Uh, so looking at Fritz's draw, he has a pretty decent one. He has a buy in the first round, then probably Fuksovics, and then either Husor, Edmund, Team, or Lestien, and then he'd face off against probably the likes of Struf, maybe? Like it, I, There are a couple of arguments to be made that Struf is actually in a great spot to pull off the upset because Baina, who won an ETP clay event a couple weeks ago, lost to Giron in the first round yesterday. So maybe Giron can make a bit of a run there, 28-1. to 1. I thought he looked pretty good in the parts of the match that I saw. But for the sake of value, I think I'm actually going to go bold here. I think I'm going to stay away mostly from the main guys. Now, I do think it is worth pivoting. I do think there's some value on Baez at 14 to 1, because I love Baez as a clay player. I think Struf has value at 14 to 1. So I am going to give out him. He'll be my German choice for a tournament historically dominated by Germans. But I do think that when you're looking at the draws of both guys, I think that you can make a serious argument that uh, Baez has a good path if Zverev finds a way to lose early and Baez could make a deep run. We know how good he is on clay. So give me him. And Struve has a matchup against Richard, who's decent, but he's not exactly a good clay player. Then Giron, I think Struve has too much firepower. The issue is unforced errors, because Giron can be very volatile, where he starts spraying the ball over the court. Imagine a significantly worse version than Ch of Chilich. That's kind of what I, what I experienced when watching Struve play. Powerful forehand, pretty good serve, decent net skills, but the unforced error counts are going to kill you. So keep that in mind. There might be a little bit of value on him, though, at 14 to 1. And I think that's basically it. I thought about potentially, you know what? No, I'm going to throw one more name out there. Give me Hallis at 35 to 1. I know he's against Umber in the first round, but I really liked what I saw from Hallis a couple weeks ago. And I know he eventually lost to Root in that uh, third set tie break, but he looked good. And I think when you're looking at an overall draw, it's really, really solid. So I'm going to go with. Another long shot there just for the half fun of it. Give me Hallis at 35 to 1. I liked the form he was in the last time I saw him play. And quickly, just pulling up the draw for him. Uh, just give me a second as I get that. So for the quarter, Hallis does have a decent draw. First round match against Sonigo is not great, but I think he could beat Green on clay and then he faced off against Rune. So it's not a great draw per se. But I think it's a decent value play at 35 to 1, just based on how he's played. He also can volley a little bit. So serve and volley might be an option for him. But uh, just trying to see if I could find better odds just really quickly. Um, do I see him listed at all? That's a that's a good place to start. Is he listed? Um let me just quickly just do command F for a second. Hallis, where are you at? Uh, 22. I see 25 to 1 here. Uh, DraftKings has 35 to 1. What does Bet Online have? Um, sorry, let me just see what odds Hallis has here. 33 to 1 as well. Okay, so give me 45 to 1. Uh, sorry, give me a 35 to 1 on Hallis. I think he's got some value there. Uh, but for the sake of the quarters, uh, looking at the quarters for this event, you have Rune at minus 165. Garena 350, Hoffman at 6 to 1, Sonigo at 7 to 1, and Hallis at 8 to 1. I understand Sonigo's good on clay. Hallis is good on clay too. 8 to 1, I think, is a bargain. Like, we just saw him make a deep run, and he lost to Rude, who's a top five clay player in the world, in three sets in his last match. So I do like the form he's in, and Hallis is technically the favorite in this match against Sonigo, as Hallis is minus 115. So I think I am going to go with the flyer there. Give me Hallis to win his quarter at plus 800. And like what I said in Rublev's quarter in in the uh, format I just mentioned before, I have to point out that if Rune does withdraw, you get a ton of automatic value because a, one in 65, a minus 165 is no longer available. And suddenly you have a lucky loser mixed in with these guys. So give me Hallis at 8-1. to one as my long shot there and my main pick in the first quarter. Second quarter, you have Zverev at minus 190, Baez at 350, Caboli uh, at 550, uh, Ata at 11 to 1, Umber at 11 at 12 to 1, O'Connell at 12 to 1. O'Connell, I really want to make a case for, but I don't think I can do it. Facing off against Umber and Zverev back to back, and then maybe facing off against Baez after that, that's just a pass. I think that draw is too difficult 
So I'm not going to pick him. However, I am going to go back to Baez. I just lo- I love him so much on clay. He's such a fun player to watch. Now, he does have to face off against Atta in the first round. Atta's German, but I think Baez is much better. And Atta's had some physical issues recently. Uh, Kaboli had a nice win, but Thompson really not good on clay. So I'm not going to overreact to it, but that match could be interesting. But I think Baez, just based on his history of winning events on clay and his consistency on clay, I like the value there at 350. So I'm going to skip Zverev there. For third quarter, you have Struff at 2-1, uh, Zanchop at 220, Giron at 330, Karatsev at 550, Altmaier at 7-1. to Simply put, I'm going to lean Struff. It's really up in the air, but I am going to go with the guy with home country advantage here with Struff. And I like the way that he played a lot of Monte Carlo. So I'm hoping he can parlay that over into this event at home. So give me Struff at plus 200. And fourth quarter, you have Fritz at plus 105, Team at 225, Fuxovic at 4 to 1, uh, Husor at 450. That's basically it. I'm not picking a serious long shot here. I'm going to lean to Fritz. If I had to pick a long shot, it probably would be Fuxovic, but I think Fritz will probably get the job done. So, once again, my quarter picks for Munich are going to be uh, Hallis at 8 to 1 in the first quarter. I have Baez at 350 to win the second quarter. I have Struff at 2 to 1 to win the third quarter and give me Fritz. At four to one, uh, sorry, give me Fritz in the fourth quarter at plus 105. But I will make a case potentially if you want to go for a different option for Fuxovics at four to one. But I'm just going to let it ride with Fritz. So that's going to wrap it up for the outright section. Do I remember half the outrights I just said? No, but it's on podcast. So there's documentation of it. I might even rewind just to make sure I'm not missing anything when I actually place some of these bets. But either way, time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the show. But fortunately, to do that, I'm going to have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. The NBA and NHL playoffs are here, and what better way to get down on some player prop parlays than over at Underdog Fantasy? Besides daily NHL, NBA, and MLB games, they've also already got NFL best ball drafts with a guaranteed half million in prizes. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by the SGPN merch store in honor of the NBA playoffs from now until the end of April. Get 10% off every Everything in the SGPN merch store when you use the promo code SGPNBA. So head over to store.sportscampodcast.com and use the promo code SGPNBA to get 10% off everything. Also, I have to mention that I just got myself a brand new NBA Gambling Podcast shirt, of course, because we know that I'm on the show. So I figured I might as well end up dressing well in, well, let's just say show attire. And I can tell you right now, it's one of the most comfortable shirts that I have. Extremely soft, extremely breathable. Highly recommend if you are looking for something to buy during the upcoming spring and summer months. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for the three tournaments. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the show. Reminder, I did give out a lock for a future earlier in the show. I gave out Sinner to win his quarter at minus 120. But anyway, moving on to the actual matches, I'm going to do something different for the lock. I'm going to go with a two-pick money line parlay. First pick's going to be Leshika on the money line against Monfi, and that is minus uh, 500. That's going to be a sweetener. Simply put, Monfi physically is completely shot, and whenever he has tried to play competitive tennis since coming back from a serious injury, he has not looked good, and he's had to retire from a couple of matches as well. So I thought about taking Monfi to not win a set at minus 166, but the self-imposed threshold for a lock was minus 165, and on top of that, Monfi might not make it to two sets. So I'm going to go with Leshika on the money line, most sports books graded as a winner if one full set is completed. So I think Monfi, if he does retire, I want some insurance. So give me Leshika money line at minus 500 and give me Baez at minus 240 on the money line against Atta. I know Atta is in his home country in Germany, but Baez is just the much better clay court player. Atta has really not been good in 2023. He's physically battled a couple of ailments and Baez, we know, is a very, very good clay player. It might be competitive for a set because Atta might use the home crowd advantage. But when you're looking at the differences in talent on clay, Baez clears him by a wide margin. Baez is in better fitness form. He also, we know, is better at rallying. Atta's got a lot of firepower. He's got a good serve and a good forehand. But I am concerned with the clay that 
if Baez is able to keep the ball in play, which he should be able to because he stands so far back on the court with returns, I think he's going to be able to break down Otto's strokes over these three sets. So give me Baez money line as the second leg. So once again, the two-pick money line parlay for the lock is going to be on Leshika money line and Baez money line, and that two-pick pays out at minus 143. And for the dog, you might remember... In the first Monte Carlo episode, we took a dog that we never heard of. We took Gakov on the money line against McDonald. And the sole reason was because the line looked extremely sketchy and we were willing to back on the unknown commodity in this spot. We're going to do the same thing in this one because it worked last time. We're going to look at the Prismich match against Gasquet. And we're going to take Prismich. We're going to take the 17-year-old underdog here to get the job done at plus 118. First of all, decent amount of money. Coming in on Prismich, I know that it originally opened up in the plus 120s or even higher. Now it's down to around plus 118. I saw a couple plus 110s out there. Money's coming in on this kid, and I think that it's extremely interesting. And I said it in the Gakov pick that the trap line alarms are going off in my head. It does feel that way. Now, Prismich has been doing pretty well in challenger events recently on clay. He also went through qualifying here beating Bellucci in straight sets and Brody in straight sets. Are both guys good on clay? Not really, but Gasquet, what makes this interesting is that Gasquet's lost three straight matches. Now, one of them was a walkover against Tsitsipas in Miami, so some type of ailment decided he couldn't compete, so he didn't show up. Then he faced off against Moore in the first round of Marikic, and Moore beat him in straight sets. Now, Moore made it to the final, so he had himself a great run, even beat Musetti along the way, and then he ended up losing to team in Monte Carlo, and that was a blowout. But the point is, the Moore loss, not that bad. Team, I've mentioned before that he's basically a challenger-level player, but he is still decent on clay if you don't bring your A game, and Gasquet did not. But I find this line very, very fascinating, where you're looking at a kid who's a relative unknown, and yet he's favored to beat Gas. He's, he's, he said he's not favored to beat the Gasquet, but based on the odds... He's got a really, really decent chance of getting this done. And when you look at the ATP differentials, they're separated by about 300 rankings. And yet the 17-year-old is in line to maybe make this interesting. So I'm actually going to back it. I think that there's some value here. I'm also kind of testing out maybe a system, just blindly backing trap line plays. But Gasquet, this line seems very fishy. I'm going to fade it. I'm assuming the public's all over Gasquet. I'm going with Prismich on the money line at plus 118. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock's going to be the two-pick money line parlay, Leshika and Baez, and that pays out at minus 143. And the dog will be Prismich money line at plus 118. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. I'll probably be back later in the week. I said from now on, I'm going to try to do episodes for quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. So I'll be back for the quarters of these three events. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.